talk to you in a while. How you doing? What have you been doing? Just in the land of misfit toys? Or yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been working hard. All right. So when I imagine your job or what you're doing, the closest thing I can relate it to is the movie Elf. <laughs> when he's like, when he's like setting up the, you know, the thing at Gimbal's, you know, uh, uh, and, and yeah, so that's the cl- like the closest idea <laughs> that I have to what you do. Not only elves, but also the Santa Claus when they go to the North Pole yeah. and see all the elves work. I just imagine you and like. 12 to 14 other guys your size <laughs> just tinkering with toys. What's well, actually happening? Aside from the fact that they are all elves, I'm the only non-elf. Right. Oh, okay. But, uh, I mean, up until today, I spent t- most of my time with, like, glue and, like, table saws. Okay. Cutting and jigsaws and plexiglass and magic substances and lots of glue. Lots like of building glue. these sets, dude. Building these magical sets. Yeah. But uh, today I spent the whole day in the window at Saks Fifth Avenue. Really? Yeah. They get the windows down. Actually, they have the windows boarded up because they've been afraid that of writing. Uh, oh, I know. Yeah. But um, yeah, the shades are drawn and I've been putting stuff in the windows. It's an interesting life so, living in the window. What the did store. you put in the windows today exactly? Like, what were you setting up? Oh, yeah. It's like top secret stuff, huh? Wait, I can probably tell you. So, yeah, lots of glue. Yeah. What's going on in this window today? Oh, so today I was in the window of Saks mm-hmm. building. Basically, I can't go into total detail, but I was kind of building. And I'm sorry, this is Saks Fifth Avenue. Saks Fifth Avenue by Rockefeller Center. <laughs> Basically kind of building this house like that's all decorated with, you know, like Christmas ornaments and lawn decorations. Fun. Um, but it's cute. But yeah, it's all like, you know, foam and lots of lights, mirrored walls that I had to put up. But it's like you're kind of living in this window for the whole day and it's weird. You can't Pretty see cool it. though. It's fun. I mean, dude, I'm like, you know, I'm a maker kind of geek. I like to make shit with my hands. So it's like, yeah, I would yeah. kind of, this, this is kind of like camp for me, you know? And to top it off, you're providing wonderment and joy. <laughs> I hope so. For legions of people around boarded up stores in New York City. Yeah. Well, you know, people aren't going to see it in like two weeks because there's just going to be a big piece of plywood over it. Well, hopefully the plywood will come down. Uh, you'll still get paid. So yeah, baby. <laughs> so, Brad, I had a quick thought today, okay? Okay, I'm ready for And it. I almost went on. So, I've been doing this thing where I'm like, oh, I should put this on Twitter. And then I'm like, no, Twitter's stupid. It doesn't come out right. So, let's just talk about it on podcasts, you know? Okay. And I had the realization today, which I haven't had yet, that I'm closer to being a grandpa and I am a teenager. <laughs> like, it just hit me today where I'm like, just literally, physically, with years, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm closer to that point than I am yeah. when I was as a teenager. It's a weird, weird thing to consider. Uh, and then, you know, on the tweet, I was going to be like, but whatever, I'm fucking stoked to be alive. You know, some dog <laughs> shit. Um, which is, I'm glad I censored myself as always. But... Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting realization to have. Well, it's funny and, and, that there's points that you hit. Like, I think 
we're very blessed to be in music where you're kind of kept young for a long time. And I also think both of us are kind of blessed with, you know, we're young at heart. <laughs> and, and handsome. And, and handsome. I mean, when did when did you have this realization? But no, I was like going to say like 30, 35 my, years ago. My when first like yours? age, my first like, oh, I'm getting old realization was like when I realized that I was as old as like the penthouse models that I'd been lusting after. Uh, when I, which oh, I think was like right. 19, right? Because don't they always write yeah. that they're 19 years old? So my first, uh, real, I don't my know. first, how would I my know, first Brad? feeling old was nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> but then I gotta say, after that, I really didn't. I mean, when I hit thirty, I didn't give a fuck, and you know, I thought like when I hit forty, I was like, oh, now I have to start acting like an adult. Yeah, I, you know, those milestones haven't done much to me really, and and I always go back to something that I think about a lot, which is just like if you take the history of mankind, right? You know, like what or what we know of it, you know, the written history of mankind, like living to 40. Oh, yeah. When you're like physically okay, mentally okay, uh, and like have a family and stuff like that. I'm literally part of like an infinitesimally small percentage of humans throughout the course of history who have even seen this many years. Right. I mean, there is a point where I was ancient. Yeah. I would have had fucking six children by like 27 and <laughs> by 31 been cast off on a piece of ice or something like whatever happened, you know, but now you just get to be like, Hey, I'm 40 and now, you know, uh, I'm going to slow down a little bit. Like it's a pretty nice problem to have. So, right? Yeah. I mean a lot. Of, so yes, that's true that there was the average lifespan, you know, like a thousand years ago was, yeah, you were an old man, but yeah. Also, throughout history, there has been the potential for human beings to live much longer has always been there. And there have been older, much older humans. Like even back when the average lifespan was 40, there were guys living to be like 60 and 70 years old. Not a lot of them, but the potential was there. So, yeah, it was mainly because they were being fucking hunted and killed in disease, you know? And, like, if you got if your foot got infected, you were dead, man, you know? Done. <laughs> Dunsky. I know. I was just thinking that today. Yeah. Well, speaking of being a teenager. This is all Kate about helps. you being a teenager, this show. I mean, pretty much. <laughs> like, so these two people, for some background, you know, the Hiltzes. Are you know New Jersey royalty? Before you uh, give your intro, I'm going to say well, that there's going to be plenty about you it, people right? have out there have heard anybody who doesn't know who the Hiltzes are. You've heard them referred to so many times on this podcast. That's right. That's right. Um, any bouncing most recently soul by shows, what Tim Barry, Brian Keeneland. Yeah. Um, yeah. But some recent. Guests. So if you're wondering who they are and why they're on, you've heard their names a bunch of times. And now, yeah. Benny, you can give your intro. <laughs> well, I mean, well, we talk about it. I believe, I mean, this, to be clear, this interview is old, right? Yes. We did this. We did this right before the pandemic. Close. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is getting old. I don't remember exactly what we got into at this point, but I'm sure we got into plenty of their background that I don't need to refresh too much, but just quickly, by the time I was into music, they were already like pretty legendary New Jersey people. John Hills had been the drummer in a band called Born Against. And by the time I was a teenager, was sort of your most accomplished local sound guy at the time. 
and Kate Hills was already fully uh, engrossed in Chunksaw Records, working with the Bouncing Souls. And they had this house uh, in Westfield that they half grew up in, their parents' house, even though I found out in this interview they're mostly from Scotch Plants. And uh, and they would do shows there. And, you know, and I kind of missed the heyday of the shows, but I caught one of the later ones with, with some wine and cheese and members of Spitboy playing cello. Uh, and uh, so so by the time I came into existence, these two were very well-founded people in the New Jersey scene. And then I found out afterwards, you know, well-respected out of New Jersey. So uh, it was really important for me to want to do this because uh, there are two people who have uniquely been cool and supportive to me in a very unique way where I've always felt that these people are, I don't, I, I didn't, I always thought they liked me as a person, right? Like I, I know we're friends and they like me as a person, but I always got the impression from both of them that they were just so stoked. Somebody was just doing the shit that they love in the same way that they want it done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like someone's coming at this with love with energy, with just some punk rock spirit. And they just liked it. And and now as like an old person, I love it when I see it. Yeah. You know, it just gets me excited. And and I, and if I saw some 16-year-old kid who was like me, I'd do anything to try to help him because it's rad. Yeah. So I couldn't appreciate these two enough and their story speaks for itself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Did I cover enough? Did it, did I think so. Good? I think you. I think you give a little. You give another intro as in the actual episode. So I get an intro. I mean, well, you give a little okay. more, a little more uh, I, background. I don't remember what I had for breakfast, man. So, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I don't remember. We could have talked about ancient aliens. Anything? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's good. Let's let's listen to it. Okay. What you missed so far. Mm-hmm. Benny didn't know that Gentleman Jim Norton has New Brunswick scene cred or <laughs> that he toured. He also toured with Brad's band, The Goops. Okay. That's how right. he knows know the, the souls. Yeah. Um, so, all right. You know that Jim Norton is Patty's cousin, right? Oh, yeah. Did you get that? Patty who? Like Patty Dillinger like- 4. What? Yeah. How is oh, that? Man, how do you not know anything? Okay. So, <laughs> so this is strange to me because so. Jim Norton to me, to me, he was like, I'm like, oh, I kind of know this dude. He works at House of Independence now. That's mm-hmm. cool. But this but happened you just like knew him from the lanes. Yeah, this happened like three years ago. Like we kind of knew each other loosely. I knew nothing about this, and then Has Kate he ever tells me you on the mouth? he started shows in New Brunswick, like the first. Um, no, but like Scott no. Hall. He so what was Scott, Scott Hall like? Mm, I, he was more City Gardens focused because oh, yeah, he got FCC, famous cheesecake, <laughs> what? roll tape. <laughs> We're on. Okay, so famous cheesecake. <laughs> yeah, who would often play double bills with Dirge? Okay, Jacko from Brighton Bar. Okay. Infamous for the open beer bottle in the back pocket style. Uh, um, 
So Dave of Famous Cheesecake was also the singer of Crucial Youth. Okay, know this group. So this is Gentleman Jim is where Crucial Youth came from. Oh, shit. And the guy known as Maynard G. Krebs, who was the second guitar player in Crucial Youth. Yeah. Um, was also in Bodies in Panic. Okay. I think. No, 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 no. Gavin McNett was in Bodies. He, he was in Bodies in Panic with Gavin McNett. Whose father invented Micronauts. <laughs> okay. So wait, so tell me how this ties to Scott Hall. Or or like like what happened mm-hmm. in New Brunswick. That's how well, I knew him, really. Scott Hall shows. He you know, the bouncer at City Gardens part of it. Okay. Um So he bounced at City Gardens. He bounced Gardens. at City Gardens. Wow. I gotta pick his brain about that. I'm sure those well, the story stories. he loves to tell is that people meet him, you know, 10, 20 years down the road. Yeah. And they say, you kicked me out of city gardens for stage diving. <laughs> and Jim says, was I nice? And they sort of stop and pause and go, yes, you were. Huh. Um, so anyway. So is this where the gentleman came into place? Yes. Like well, that, that's the, that is from Crucial Youth. It was Gentleman Jim. Was he like pretty tough dude though? He could he could uh, no, he work a, on someone like, if he had to or he's got bulk. Really? Yeah. You know. You put a hurt in if he needed to. I never he's, saw he's, him hurt anybody. He was well, no, usually he can, I've seen him. He's like Swayze people. in Roadhouse. He was the cooler. You don't even have to. <laughs> if you know what you're doing. I mean, you know, that's an interesting thing about Roadhouse because, like, he plays Do you off think like anyone ever compared to Jim Norton to <laughs> Patrick Swayze before this moment in time. Because well, I think I he's, so. he's smiling wherever he is. Because well, now, like, this is a strange equivalency for me because I've always found Dalton's character to be a little strange in the idea that he very proudly professes he's the cooler and then just goes on and beats the shit out of about a hundred people and kills someone before the end of the film, which doesn't sound like cooling. He was provoked. He wasn't cooling anything. I mean, that dude was terrible and his, you know, with the pickup truck crew and all that. But uh, was he really ben a good Zara. cooler? I mean, he literally was walking around with a... Oh, I mean, it's the knife on the boots. What is a different Ooh. time? So, <laughs> back on topic. Yeah. Hey, Benny, you want to introduce your friends? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> So, any, done. Who, are these, who are these people in my As studio? anybody knows for more than 12 seconds, I'm immensely proud to be from the state of New Jersey. The great state of New Jersey. The great state of New Jersey. Is that what they call it? Yeah, it is. And where, where are you, you talk from? About fucking Maine, Florida? Where, where are you from? <laughs> the New York, man. Jesus Christ. Um, and, uh, so, when I was coming up in, in the scene around me, the Hiltzes were already a... A household name in our scene in Get a lot it, of ways. household name. Uh, yeah. I mean, so when I was coming up, probably about 95 already, I had known, you know, John for being a drummer in Born Against. I don't think that's accurate. Uh, John potentially <laughs> being the drummer from this band. Um, and then also being a front of house sound guy at that time, which I need to talk to you about because I don't remember how we met. And then, well, Kenny from E Town is kind of the catalyst. <laughs> he he here. was your predecessor. Yeah, I almost got beat up. By and him. the Shields brothers. Yeah, let's let's loop this all in. So, and then with a little he, bit of Jim Norton. Kate had the, the ties already at the time to like, you know, the Souls. I knew the song, and it was just sort of this legendary to me for for being a little bit younger than you guys, but from the same exact area. 
I knew about you guys before I even met you. So then, you certainly didn't let on. No, no, you know I try to play it cool. Um, and then at some time when I was fifteen, I had Kenny and Anthony from E Town Concrete as my sound guys at the Manville Elks Lodge. Um, we had done a show with a straight edge vegan band called Puritan from Pennsylvania who uh, got up on stage, said, hi, you know, we're Puritan and just smashed two microphones on the ground. These were which was a big deal in the 90s. And these were E-Town Concrete's microphones. You know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> after the show, the singer from E-Town kind of was like, yeah, you know, you got to pay us for those mics. And I was like, I, I don't know where you think like that money is coming from because I just don't have it. And he fronted on me and scared the shit out of me. And I walked to the quick check with my mom's ATM card and pulled out the remaining money I was allowed to pay and then decided I needed someone else to do sound at my shows. But <laughs> this is where I can't connect the dots. All right. I don't know how I got from, from A to B here. Do you remember? Were you still doing shows? Mark Calamaris. Oh, Mark Calamaris. It comes out uh-huh. early. <laughs> um, so there's a Nate Gluck connection there. Okay. Tell me how. Um, how did so this happen? Eminem was Mark and Mike. Mike Kowalski. And wow. who should have played bass in Eminem but Nate Gluck? Also <laughs> of. Yes. Wait, Mark Calamaris Strength and Mike six, nine, had a band together? Yes. Concurrently. <laughs> These are people we grew up in our neighborhood. Like, I'm talking These about, like, I'm talking about Scotch single digit oh, age, Scotch cul-de-sac Scotch bike family. riding. Gotcha. This is, that's where these, these names are yeah. from. LeGrand Le Park summer program. Hell yeah. Nate Gluck. Old school mm-hmm. Scotchwood diner shit. Best onion rings in the world. <laughs> <laughs> So was this Nate Nate that put it together? Because that makes sense. No, but Mark and I ran around the neighborhood causing trouble and mischief. <laughs> um, and his path was he wound up at William Patterson doing loft parties for fraternities. Ugh. Um, in weird, sketchy spaces in Patterson. I think he was even like kind of a master tenant on a warehouse or something. Okay. Um, So he had acquired a sound system. And when we reconnected somehow, uh, sort of worked out a deal. It was like, you know, your mom lives up the street from my mom. Or it wasn't really anymore at that point because they had moved. they They were long gone, but, you know. You used your van, my van, and my uh, sound system, and uh, you just let me know what you do, and you give me some money for it. Cool. How old are you at this point? This was this was about this was probably ninety five. Yeah. You know, prior to that, I had acquired a PA to do basement and hall shows with. Right. Um, so the one you showed up to Manville with. That was a Mark Calamaris job. It was a Mark Calamaris job. It was enough to do a, a big room. Which for me, the sound system that came in was like, holy shit. This yeah. is like Van Halen. I was worthy. way too like, into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because prior to E-Town, I used to just have my mom drive me to Pianos Plus on 22 
and rent like a $75 PA mm-hmm. for the night. Like that's what I used to do. And then pretend to know how to fucking work <laughs> it at all. So like me jumping up to John Hiltz was like, yo, this is pro sound now. You know what I mean? Like this is no joke. You've arrived. Now I wanted to ask, so I have sort of like a distorted image mm-hmm. of me as like a kid. <laughs> um, like I don't, sometimes I'm like, how did like, I look at like pictures of myself at like 15 like super chubby and innocent and i like wonder like how i came off to people at that time like like when you like first talked to me and like heard a 15 year old kid like asking you to come do sound at his elks lodge like do you remember like any kind of reaction to it i'm curious i feel like you had jankos in a chain wallet yeah sounds right Definitely a chain wallet. Yeah. Yeah. I had whatever, like, hand-me-down skate pants my friends would give me. Yeah. They were often incredibly oversized, though. So the Jenko relation and is... is uh, was, was Yell Boy the uh, band at the time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds right. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have any... Like, the fun thing about it is I always felt kind of like in that time... I ran into a bunch of people who made me feel like I like belonged in what I was doing because I didn't feel like I ever got big timed. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Um, and I liked, I guess like the first time you came in, it was just like a sound guy doing his job and I'm like a promoter. And I was like, huh. And I was probably pretty focused on that. Yeah. I th- like, well, yeah. I mean, you were always just like beelined on, your specific job like the exact thing i mean i i I appreciate you for that the way like at a show you kind of have blinders on to to the things going on around you and completely focused on the thing at hand i mean that was that was um apparent from from the get-go but like um i I feel like you went out of your way a lot to kind of you know i didn't always pay you you know (laughs) um you definitely went out of your way to acquiesce for me and do you remember, like, why? Like, did you think it was cool that just, like, there was an Elks Lodge with, like, a little kid? Or, like, was it really just, like... Of the punks. Yeah, you know. I mean, I was very much the one about town doing, you know, Bordentown or whatever, Fieldsboro. Right. Yeah, yeah, You know, the uh, the Bates Lodge in Red Bank. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I don't think Bomb Shelter had really... No, he came after Popped me. up at that point. Yeah, but, he was you know, prior still. to that, uh, you know, Charles was doing shows in Paramus. Right. Uh, right. Darry up in Ridgewood. Wayne Firehall. Uh, that, that was... Wayne started with Bomb Shelter. Yeah, that was yeah. Bomb Shelter. That's more like 97. Mm-hmm. But it all, you know, it all, it all folds in. Um, I think another through line here is Shields Gymnastics. <laughs> and, you know, Tim Shaw was also someone right. who came through that. Yeah. And he was a presence. Sure. And, you know, I would say he sort of vouched for you. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, these kids are all right. Sure. Aww. I mean, other than the fact that you had Ensign play shows, which there's no excuse for. I mean, Ensign was literally my house band. And and it was because they were like... It's a crime against humanity. And it was, it, they Sorry, were the ones. Because I knew Nate when I was little. I knew Tim when I was little. And they, they were the ones I knew I could call in like a pinch who would bring 50 kids and not care if they got paid or not. Like that was, and they were awesome about it. Like I got to give respect to, for a reference. And this is one of the funnier parts about the Elks Lodge, the Shields brothers 
were Kevin and Dan Shields, who their parents had owned Shields Gymnastics in Hillsboro. And Dan Shields randomly was my gymnastics instructor when I was a tiny little kid. (laughs) And then when I was like this like 14-year-old walking around to different, you know, trash bag Elks Lodges in my area looking for somewhere to do shows, we pieced this together. And in a random turn of events, like at this Elks Lodge, to the guy who was my gymnastics instructor. He was the grand poobah. Him and his brother also happened to be in a very famous 80s punk band in New Jersey called Detention. So, like, like right off the bat, I kind of had, like, run into to friendlies. You know what I mean? Like, people who were, like, like Kate said, like, like up for it, who were just like, oh, this is fucking cool. Like, like something about it is just uh, attracting them to it. But Dan Shields and Kevin Shields were, man, personalities. Like, they were, I, I wonder even, like... They were a little we, off. Oh, extremely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll never forget the time. It's like, you know, I'm living well, with my mom. That Manville's main export was asbestos. Yes. The Johns Manville factory that made the bulk of the U.S.'s insulation yeah, is Manville, in New Jersey. Holds in the And case. home of asbestos. And, yeah. and American cyanamide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. And the uh, Red Rose Saloon, mm. which was a great roller skating rink. But these guys, I mean, just as as an example of the kinds of hijinks I'd have with Dan Shields, I'm like 15, it's 2.30 in the morning. I'm just living in an apartment with my mom, you know? So he's calling my mom's apartment. And he's like, my mom's like, someone's on the phone for you. And I'm like, okay. He's like, Benny, it's Shields. It was like Benjamin. Yeah, Benjamin. Yeah, I forgot about that. (laughs) And he goes, listen, we need a kidney over here. I'm like, what? He's like, this kid needs a kidney. I got Murphs. I and got shades. shades. I got, well, who's that? That little girl that moshes around in the football helmet. I got her, too. She's talking about Allie from yeah, Fast Times. Yeah. Uh, I got them all. You guys are playing. Do the show. We need a kidney. And just hangs up the phone. <laughs> and had no idea that he made that call. I thought a show was booked. I called him the next day being like, all right, like, what do we got to do for this, like, Murphy's Law show? Like, that's pretty cool. You got Murphy's Law? Like, we got to get a flyer out and stuff. He's like, uh, yeah, kidney, you know, and just never knew, never called anyone. Just a total, <laughs> total drunk tile in the middle of the night. But as a 15-year-old. But it happened more than once. Yeah, there was a number of times. And even Matt Levitin spent a summer working with Dan Shields. Painting houses. Painting houses. And there would be an ice cold 12er between the two seats to start the day. Bunch of joints through the, the day. The eye opener. Yes. Yeah. 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 He needed that to get going. But, um, Kate, like around that time. <laughs> <What's> <laughs> but I digress. Yeah. Like, so. What did you think of young Benny? <laughs> no, we didn't meet each other until oh, a little later. later. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kate and I met a little later. Yeah. I, I obviously knew what you were doing, but it was like. What, kind of a separate did, scene. Did you, did, did you know? Or is this yeah, when, part of the you're John Hiltz's sister dynamic? Yeah, we call that, that pops John up. Hiltz's sister. Playing John Hiltz's sister. You started as John Hiltz's sister huh. to me. Yeah, um, generally. But you also had... But you were a sports writer at the Daily Targum <laughs> with Ben I, Silverman. I was a paginator. A paginator. And the night production manager. I'll have you know at the Daily Targum. So sports. Yeah. No, no. I, I was placing ads. I was, um, but yeah, was, you were young, so you a, actually liked the bounce. I was a design probably. man. I was a design man. Um, but 
so like in 95 around this time Chunksaw was already going mm-hmm. did you have a part of Chunksaw from its inception or did the soul start it and then you kind of like no the soul started it with Timmy Chunks right. who lent them the money to make uh, the first record gotcha and that's which Chunksaw number one is it Greenball Greenball crew okay um, and then I kind of came onto the scene when you hired them all accidentally in the futon factory. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? When we overcame the gender barrier together in the futon factory. Tell me. What, White Lotus? Yeah. Okay. So I was working at White Lotus, was going to graduate school, living in New Brunswick, um, was just going to shows around there and stuff, but... The first time that I had seen them play, I left. I was like, this band is awful. They're so <laughs> bad. And it's so crowded in here, and I am out of here, you know? Where was that? At the Court Tavern. Oh, okay. It was like, you know, I was like, oh, let's go check out this show. Yeah, and I was yeah. just like, oh, my God, what are they doing? <laughs> I love to give them crap about it. But, um, and then... Not long after that, like weeks, maybe months later, Brian comes into the futon shop, like trying to hang up flyers for shows. Okay. And I'm like trying to pretend that I didn't see them play right, or right, know right. who he is. I'm like, oh, like you're a kid who lives up the street. That's nice. Yeah. You know, he's older than me, obviously. Did Brian but, go to Rockers or is he just. No, they there? just lived on Hamilton Street okay. at the time. Yeah. Um, this is like uh, 92, 93. S- Probably 93 at this point. I remember that house. That was where <clears throat> they would do shows, right? Um, was that that was before Ave. that. It was oh, at Commercial Ave. Ave. Yeah, yeah. This was like the next house after that. Um, after the toilet. Incident. Yeah, yes. after the toilet incident. <laughs> and um, Memorialized in song. And then he was like, can I get a job? And at the time, White Lotus was like a feminist stronghold. Right. No men were hired. No gotcha. one was allowed. And I... You know, in my up the punks sort of way, was like any kind of sexism is wrong. Huh. I'm an egalitarian, wow. and we're gonna break down the gender barrier here at White Lotus. Did you take any shit from the feminists you were working with? Were they uh, more from the owner? Who, of oh, course, really? you know, their opinion kind of mattered a lot because sure. they were the owner, and they could have just fired me. But I just stood my ground, and I was like, like I'm like this is crap, and. I, uh, if you don't agree with this, then I'm going to leave. And they, uh-huh. like, basically couldn't run it without me at that point. And Crazy. So I got my way. That's awesome. It, so is Bri- <laughs> That's pretty fucking funny. And so, so Brian. No sooner do you hire them. No, so I hire Brian and I'm like, listen, like, you cannot fuck <laughs> yeah. this up. Because, you put your foot out there for that. Because, yeah. like, you know, I, I, and like, I was thinking this actually like, I broke when, down walls for when you, you asked John about like what did he think of you when he met you and why would he back you and do go sure. to these lanes yeah. and it's and what I was thinking at the time is like we both have this sort of like you just decide whether or not someone is on your team or not and then yeah. you just go with it and sure. sometimes you're disappointed and sometimes you're not yeah and you know all these years later this person who I took this chance on is like a brother to me, you know, like, and like, so So at the time I was just like, listen, like you cannot fuck this up. Like you have to be good at this and you have to stay here. And he starts kind of like looking at his feet and I'm like, what? And he was like, 
I'm going on tour next week for six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? Uh, and he was like, so that began like, you know, basically an entire lifetime of, of like yeah. busting my own ass to save someone's <laughs> job while they're on tour. <laughs> And but he was seriously gifted in the futon making department. Was he, he was so good at it. Yeah. He was so insanely. And what's Brian good like? At it? It? I bet he's like a real like. He has a great he's work a ethic. Midwestern work, work right? ethic. Yeah, he's yeah. born in Minnesota. His parents are from there. Like you know he he is corn fed. He white is just man. like oh, you no, work. work. Like you get a project and you see it through. You know right. and like he doesn't sit still. He doesn't. He's really he's got a great work ethic. You and oppose this, John? Very. Uh, just occasionally less midwestern than jersey it's you know deeply jersey He's, oh you're opposed to the midwestern when i think yeah. of brian i but mean Car- I, I think of like mayor I, of bradley beach that's what i think well, of i well, certainly don't think of minnesota that's coming probably that's coming. yeah i know that's coming. I know. how long how far are we away from that from the from the run it's city council okay you first, do know probably, that his right? dad was the mayor yes, of basking Ridge, I do. right okay I do. so he's a legacy yeah yeah um i know it's coming i don't know i don't know it's probably coming yeah so you hired more souls at White Lotus oh, even uh, after that? Everyone but Pete. And only because Pete was like, you know, was still working at the flower shop maybe? Some oh, kind of, yeah. I don't, I don't know. But He delivered flowers, right? And they not only did I hire all of them, but then they all became variably homeless in between tours <laughs> and would sleep in the futon shop in the... F- <laughs> oh, no. And I like covered for them. I don't know wow. why. Again, I just Guardian decided Angel, like real, these yeah. are my people, and you know, and then I and then they were like one day like we thought like it would be cool like you should come on tour with us, right? Like, okay. That would be so cool. And I was like, hi, I'm I'm running this business, yeah, and I'm in graduate school and like have a boyfriend a whole life, yeah, yeah. And they're like, no, it'd be really fun. And <laughs> I was like, meh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And I like dropped out of graduate school and wow. and went to the owner of the futon shop and was like, thinking that I need to go on sabbatical for a little while. <laughs> and I'm hired and trained these minions to do these things and I'll call in. And I mean, this is like before the internet. So yeah, yeah. I had to, and I would get like, I feel like I would get like faxes at venues to like do the payroll and stuff like that. Like it was like really. They were really like relying on you there. Yeah. It was really crazy. Uh, now that I think about it, I was like, <laughs> and actually, I saw Pete's parents the other day, and they were like, Pete's mom was like, I didn't know that you were that you dropped out of school to go on tour or whatever, and that you, you know, they were like, we never knew that part. I don't know if we would have been so happy about that. And I was just like, well, you know, yeah, one of us. There, she's one of us now. And you never finished, right? Nope. Yeah. How long was that, that, that tour? Disgust. That first tour. That was. Um, that had to be right, right after that Goops tour because it. That was ninety five. Oh no, no, this was before that. Yeah. Because we, we it was ninety four, the fall maybe of ninety four, and we ended up at the BYO house in L.A. Wait, was there some rancid shows? There was a couple rancid shows. So we might have been on those because we did a fall tour with Rancid '94. Yeah, so and we like, found out that I, Brad, like we did some souls. Met. So Brad with the Goops toured with the Souls in what '95? Yeah, yeah. But oh, I wasn't wait. on that tour. That oh, was no, like wait, it was '96. It was spring '96 tour. That's when it was. Maybe that, that was like Lamar. You just remembered you were wearing little shorts most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. 
Brad's got great, God purse. He's got great city guy legs. God you know, <laughs> I can tell he bikes his kids around. Man, my stuff. dates are totally off. It was 96. 96. Yeah, that was like. But I think but we were on tour with Rand. I think that's when I met the Bouncing Souls. Was that Like I had gone tour. back to. I'd gone back to the futon shop. I really just did take a leave of absence at that time. Oh, you did go. You did go back. I went to the futon Initially. shop. Yeah, but not back okay. to school. And where were you? You were living in New Brunswick. I was living in New Brunswick, and then um, there's like a couple years in there, like where I was uh, sometimes living in New Brunswick, and then. We would be on tour so much that I would just go and stay in Westfield with John right. or with Roni in Highland Park or whatever, like in between tours. And then I moved the, after that to Bradley Beach in 95 with Wig. So there's only oh, okay. a short time that I did was like kind of homeless. Gotcha. <laughs> I did the same thing. Band dude homeless. Yeah. 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 Like you're, you got a lot of couches. It's yeah. like. Everyone wants to see you when you come home. There should be a different name <laughs> for it because I, I do. In in my own personal narrative, I have like a two and a half, three year homeless run. But I always feel like really strange saying homeless because it's not the case. Like I wasn't living on the fucking street. Like I feel like Yeah. I feel like using so what's a better word? Friendship tour. Friendship tour. <laughs> oh, okay. You're good. Friendship You're tour. You're good. You've thought of this. I was wondering like That's a strike anywhere thing. That's Friendship perfect. tour. That's perfect. Um, like so so I, you talked about making that decision where you see someone and you, you have an instinct and you like decide to trust that person and decide to back them. And you both had this it's a decision it's or an instinct. A, yeah. Like, like, but where do you guys, I mean, if you both have it and it's kind of unique, like, where do you think that came from? Like just that instinct to almost just like understanding if someone's full of shit or not. And also, it seems like it, there was a tendency to want to, like, maybe, like, help someone, you know, like, um, I think it's more help someone like who help, needed help or help, help someone further who was, a cause. Yeah, and exactly. That cause or something is like that. a sort of, like, diaspora of punk music and values. Right. And so you're like, hey, you want to be part of this really cool thing. I but mean, you weren't those that guys old. are so gung-ho back then, like, who would not want to go on tour with the Souls and... 94. Yeah, I mean, but there's like, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I guess I asked this question because like, um, I mean, I'm raising kids now, you know, and I knew you guys it ain't, will, the huh? <laughs> it ain't, it ain't the same. It ain't the same. Play dates. And, then, ah. you know, <laughs> and just the 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 fact that you both functionally at a young age in like late teens, early 20s, both truly internalized the concept that you like were like working for some kind of like greater good or putting your your lives in something that not only can like get you a little bit of money but it's truly important to you that it represents something or is like putting into something that's part of a larger whole like like where do you think that came from in just your thinking I don't know. I always sort of ask that question, too, because I'm like, what are the chances that you, like, have a family where you get, like, two punk rocker, vegan weirdos? There's got to be a tie here. It can't be random. <laughs> That's right. I mean, like, like what was going on yeah. when Self, you guys were kids? Self-reliance uh, became yeah, necessary, like, what are your parents, at, a, at like, a young age. What do your um, parents, like, do? And, what like, what kind of—did <laughs> any of this come from them? 
Or like, was it uh, something that was a reaction I mean, to them in the other like, way? Bo- Clearly, it was a reaction. Very bright and very liberal, right? Politic, you know, kind mm-hmm. of, you know, intellectual people who right. had professional lives and are, are um, I don't know. They left us to raise ourselves and each other. I mean, like, right. it was really like we were latchkey kids. We didn't have a lot of like guidance. I mean, I remember like having to go to John's teachers to be like, does John have homework? Oh, wow. Cause he would, you know, he's like, was so bored in school that he would just not go or not (laughs) comply or I don't know. But I was on the other side of like, (laughs) I'll just do what they want me to do. So they leave me alone. I see. Like we had the opposite. Right. 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 Different way of tactic there with like getting through all of that. But and, yeah, I mean, I think we were sort of like very, very independent and very, but also with this, you know, like idea that of of values, morals. I don't know. Like yeah. we weren't raised with any religion or any um, tradition or anything like that. So it was sort of like we both found our way to like this eventual. Oh, hmm. there's this. There's this whole like kind of unspoken world of people who are like on this on this very big page. Sure. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that we I mean there was definitely a lot of years that we didn't hang out. Right. Weren't for sure. And like didn't yeah, you discuss got, any of these right. things. There was certainly no like, hey, it's cool that I saw you at that show or whatever. Right, right, like, right. I'll punch you in the face. You guys were just kind of coexisting <laughs> in like parallel circles almost. Yeah, which is why playing John Hilt's sister is really fun sometimes because <laughs> right. people are just like, what? Like, what? Well, I think so, it's turned now, though. I think you're Kate Hilt's brother now. Ooh, yeah, absolutely. Ooh. Through the years. <laughs> and that's great. You've gotten deeper into the cut. And I've Kate's only seen it happen once. Yeah. But with Brian Downey, right? That's John's the, the man time. behind the board now. Kate's Kate's mm. right up out front, you know? I think it's your world now, Making Kate. Making waffles. But John, were you touring when at this point when she went out on this first Souls tour? Like, did she know what to expect? Yeah, that's true. Uh, I didn't huh. give her any uh, words of advice. I did like uh, you like you visited still, me when you was, were on that, tour in Seattle. You were already touring. I was, yeah, I you was did touring. still watch your older brother go on tour, which I mean have. I'd gone yeah, I'd there was been no at shows that he played. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I understood that he was on tour. I had heard some stories, particularly I had. He did explain to me what a lot lizard was. Oh, because he used to have a sticker on his van that said "No lot lizards," and I was like, "What does it mean, doctor?" <laughs> um, Talk to me, doctor. <laughs> but like, I don't, I don't know. That's crucial yeah, there, information. There was, <laughs> we didn't have the talk about touring. I, no, no. I, I don't think she. Uh, Told me beforehand, by the way, I'm because you know, you can imagine the eye roll that you would have gotten if <laughs> oh, you yeah, had told me you were going a real on big souls with the bouncing roll. souls. Oh my gosh, <laughs> embarrassing! 1990 something. I can't imagine you were a bouncing souls fan. Uh, the the they were terrible, uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. The, the, the definition of punishers at the same time. Oh, oh, drinkers. Right? Oh yeah, uh, you were very straight drinking edge at and that close time. talking. Um, I was. What were you listening not a part to? Of your, you were in a band then. I was. Yes, I was in a band then. 
still Gray, Gray House then? Gray, Gray House. House would have been 92 to 94, yeah. Right. yeah. What kind of band is um, it? We invented emo metal with beatdown parts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, he's kind of telling the truth, which is funny. <laughs> Um, to a point. And even, you know, I'm going to dub the name just because I can. Uh, but even when I was listening to some Born Against stuff today, before I was coming. I'm getting psyched up. I, <laughs> no, I had sort of forgot that you guys were part of that, like, maybe not part of it scene-wise. But to me, from the outside, there was a, a, a very consistent thing with Jersey hardcore bands from that time. And Vision had it. Uh, Turning Point had it. You guys had it. Point of View had it. Like a bunch of bands like that who were fast, aggressive, screaming, but there was tons of melodic stuff, particularly in guitars. And I think like New Jersey at that time, like half invented that style. And then Lifetime ran with it and like, and it turned into something else. Oh, Pete Horvath. But I kind of never. songwriting genius. In my head, I never had put Born Uh, Against into that group. And I'm listening today. I'm like, oh my god, they're firmly in that group. Like, um, do you think that's true? Like, what I picked up on with the all those bands at the time, and was yeah. it like a was it a conscious thing? Um, well, you know, Adam did a stint in New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. Um, probably he, he attended Rutgers for a few years. Um, worked for uh, facilities maintenance. Um. I had some boys and, who had that job. Yeah. <laughs> Little Mike did that for me. I, uh, you know, he was in those circles. You know, Life's Blood played a Scott Hall show. Right. With Sticks and Stones. Oh, uh, okay. Right. Version one. I feel like Version Sticks and Stones one. is a uh, oh, very important yes. uh, yeah. unifier here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Between Bri- all of these people. The bridge. And scenes. I mean, I know that like in New Brunswick at that time, they had the Pete, Pete Slayers Club. It was like mm-hmm. Pete V. Pete Van Antonio. We're not supposed people. to say that. No. Oh, we can't say it anymore? Um, oh, I can't. Too bad. Anyway. I didn't Pete, know. Peter Van Antonio. Pete. Pete Remember, Steinkopf. his father ran for mayor of my town. So yeah, like, Pete Steinkopf, I saw it Pete on- Tabit, Pete Horvath. Right. They had like a little like, hey, we're all Pete's that play guitar hanging out in New Brunswick. <laughs> oh, and they real? would like, you know, from bands that were sort of like on on the fringe of like, we shouldn't get along on paper, but we're sort of all part of this. Because, yeah, we had what, Vision, Sticks and Stones. Sticks and Stones, Grey, Grey House, Seed and Grey. Uh, yeah. Well, Prior to that, separate piece and PD with with Chris um, Ross and post ejaculation depression and decalator in that band. All of those, yes, yeah. PD was before my time, but I got all their stuff because I was good friends with Chris Ross. So he gave me all their swag after they existed. Um. (laughs) So. So, you know, yet another Bridgewater connection. I know. You know. So you think Sticks Um, and Stones, like, kind of tied a lot of those worlds? Like, kind of brought, like, the maybe Somerset County thing to, like, New Brunswick almost? Yeah. And, you know, the crowd that Kate was in with in the White Lotus era. weird when he calls me Kate. Catherine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Were all Bridgewater people who had sort of gone a little more hippie-ish direction 
but still very much of the uh, sticks and stones. Well, you know, it was like the time of like indie crew. rock and yeah. and like bad, bad guitar solos and mm-hmm. I don't know. But they had all Loose. grown up together. Yes. Yeah. So it was part of the connection. Yeah. So, I mean, that's cool. I mean, and I'm sure if everybody was hanging out together, playing shows together and stuff like, you know, that's how those scenes existed in those days. Uh, that being said, I always wonder nowadays um, with the fact that, you know, a local scene is less and less of a thing. You know, a, a band is sort of an independent entity now where, you know, you release your stuff and you put yourself out on the Internet and you're not really coming up with like a, a group of people. And I wonder if because of that, like it's going to, you know, how like certain cities would develop a sound, certain towns would develop a sound. And I, I wonder if that's just going to like totally go away because of the individual nature of releasing music. You know, I think that could happen. Right. So I don't think it's even the it, it, it's it's that the Internet has opened it up so that you can't have these like pockets of, yeah. of like, you know, because I think a lot of the re- time these bands were just influencing each other because that's all they could hear, you know. But don't they have like group chats and shit on the Internet where this, there's some bands well, are just talking to each other? Let's put the like, Internet not aside. Like... I think there was really a certain point in the 90s where, you know, all these homegrown scenes that were in these small towns that had been basically driven by one or two or three really committed people. Right. Once they realized that they could get out of that and move mm. to San Francisco Bay Area, move to New York, right, 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 right. or you know, a lot get of that bought just, out by a Clear Channel. Not, not even, not even <laughs> that level. You know, I think just you know, information becoming available. Mm. Um, you know, just giving people the idea that there were options and you know, ways to get out of their situations, you know, they took those. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, do small town scenes still exist to an extent, but I think they're temporary phenomena. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. But like one you or know? two kids who are super. Yeah. And then right. they, then they realize they can and move. Excited. And then they, and they get to people together and have fun for a while. And then, Mm-hmm. But you know there isn't this sort of thing that's like, oh, there's ben- Benny. He's doing shows at the hall. He'll put you on a show mm-hmm. if you, you know, and you'll bring your ten friends, right? And then you'll get invited back because those ten people didn't come before, and now they would go to all, you know. And so it was part of scene building sure, to like sure. have the crappiest band play or their friends play, or like, oh, those guys have a have a cool bass head they're gonna let everyone use it right whatever it is but that's not a thing anymore because everyone has you know their own stuff they sit in their room with their garage band yeah they play every instrument they don't even have a band whatever you know like and i just feel like it's expensive and and impossible like you know i mean just think about like parents now like you're a parent now. You're gonna. You're you are gonna have to sign waivers for your kid to go to like a birthday party. You know, what? Like, they're like all these. You know, <laughs> people are so concerned about <laughs> legalities and insurances social and social media policies. All these different things that it's like. 
you know, if that had happened when he was having, you know, um, Citizen Fish play in the basement of our parents' house for a week straight, like, would never have happened. Yeah. You know? Like, if we had to get, like, a waiver from those kids that came or, like, someone had to find out where that show, you know? And, like, think about even in... In a later era in New sure. Brunswick, like you, someone's trying to start a house show scene, and you can't publish it because the cops shut it down every time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, you know, people now, due to a hassle, legals, or marginalized by expenses or whatever it is, they're not taking those kinds of risks. They're not like, oh, this kid seems cool. I'm going to do this show for free. Right. I'm going to bring my stuff over there because you're like, someone's going to break my stuff. It's just not this worth kid's going to get sued. Right. I don't want you to put my picture on Instagram because my aunt's going to see. Whatever. Who the heck knows? But I just feel like it's so, whereas, you know, we were all sort of very awkward yeah, and finding each other in some sure. way to pull off this thing that now, like, social media and the internet and the the bullshit of being a kid in America today and the and like how your parents are like you can't do that because you're going to go to jail or I'm going to go to jail right. or whatever it is right, like right. it just stops anything in its tracks like that from happening like yeah yeah you know and and people aren't willing to take those kinds of risks for themselves or for other people and the community there's not it's like it's really it's terrifying to me really yeah but, yeah you know and that's why I think it's it's not just necessarily like that there's no kids in a small town that are interested but they're just their their interest is in what they find on the on the computer and it has nothing to do with what's near them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. It's interesting. Seeing 13-year-old kids now and trying to reconcile that with knowing that at 13 I was, you know, Going into the city on the train on my own, going to shows. Yeah, yeah. Maybe missing the last train. You know, sleeping in the Penn Station. Yeah, like sure. And just the they didn't have seat dividers, and it was fine. Oh my god! How many (laughs) how many times I've watched the uh, the homeless guy locker room of the Penn Station bathroom? Yeah, like like, there's no way there's a kid doing that now. I'm I'm horrified on my own behalf. You know, like thirteen. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was just. You know? He said that to me the other day, he, like when we were talking about how I went to see the Muppet movie like 11 times in the theater when it came out, which is like <laughs> 79 or 80 or whatever. So I'm doing seven or eight years old, go into the movies by myself. And he's like, don't you think there's something a little funny about that? Yeah. And then like we were both like coming to New York by ourselves as very young people it's, like kicking so. around like I'm going to go to St. Mark's and I'm going to find a jean jacket. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. I'm gonna save up my money and I'm gonna go to well, not to trash mention, and vaudeville or whatever. You know, like, not to mention that it was a very different New York. Then. It was yes. terrifying. Well, which but- we were familiar with it. <laughs> um, well, no, our 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 dad worked it in worked. Midtown up until mid to late eighties. Okay, and at least a couple times a year, he would take us into work on the train on a Friday. Gotcha. One of which was to go to the circus at Medicine Square Garden. Always once on Good Friday. Always, always on Good Friday. Good Friday circus. And, and, you know, the PATH train in 1978, 79 was a very different, very interesting beast. And the PATH was running we, then? Oh, yeah. Huh. But 
you know, sitting in the front of the train looking into the tunnel from the front window is a very clear memory for oh, me. Yeah. Sounds ominous. Yeah. And I remember yeah. like telling him, oh, I'm going to go to New York for something or another. Very young. You know, 13 or 14. And him being mad because I bought a round trip ticket for the New Jersey the Transit. Trans- and he was like, ah, did you not learn anything? Off peak hours, you get an excursion. <laughs> and like, that's what he was upset about. Not that I went to New York. Not that I was just unattended going to New York, but that I did, that I didn't get the discounted off peak hours. Yeah. You know, like, I want, I hey, I'll want, try harder next time. See, I think about this now that I have kids and my own experience and I match it up. And, you know, I had a similar type of looseness in my childhood that's the fact that i even knew you guys or knew you at 14 was you know part of that and uh you know i remember my mom talking a little bit about a a struggle that she had where she thought she a she she had trust in me Mm -hmm. she knew i was like a good kid who wouldn't like maliciously do something bad or or was resourceful enough to get my attitude like she she trusted me to an extent and then also she talked about the fact that I was a sensitive, alternative kid already, and that she really believed if she like pushed me too hard, micromanaged me too much, I would have rejected her, rejected it, gone even farther off the rail than than maybe I had, and I didn't go that far off, you know. Even though I chose an alternative lifestyle, I never got crooked, you know, yeah. which a lot of people I know have. Um, and, like, do you, do you think, like, were you guys grown up kids? Like, maybe your parents just believed in the Aye. idea that their freedom could bring you a new path? Or was it just like, we don't know what our kids are doing? More, a little more on the improvised side, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and they didn't talk to each other. So we right. really could fly a lot. Like, I flew a lot of like mom I'm at dad's dad's I'm at mom. Oh, my mom doesn't know that my dad's in Saudi Arabia for three weeks. Sick. Ooh. I can just be there. You know what right. I mean? Like there wasn't a lot of communication between them until there was some kind of reason for it, mm-hmm. which is why I was always mad at him for getting in trouble at school because I was like, just fly under the radar. Like oh, you can do what you want. Causing too much static. But, I remember saying to my I got in trouble one time. I got picked up by the cops. This is when I was probably, you know, probably like 14 or something. I was out after curfew with Rob Walters. With Rob Walters. And whatever that means, out after curfew, it was like there, there was some rule in our town that I didn't know about that you couldn't be out. Okay. An underage person, like between 11 and 6. I don't know what it was. Yeah, yeah. So the... And my dad was like really mad that he had to come and get me at the police station. Uh And he said to them, he's like, well, it's not past her curfew. Just let her go. Like (laughs) and that I said and like, you know, like I I always think it's funny that he was like mad that he had to come get me and not that I was out like just roaming the streets. Well, that's telling too to your guy's sense of authority a little bit, you know. But he also said. In fact, your father was like, fuck you, cop. Like, I don't like that rule. He also said, you don't have a curfew because if you had a curfew, you would break it. There would have to be consequences. It would cause strife, you know. But all your friends have curfews. And when they have to go home, you're going to come home because you're going to be bored and you have nothing to do. So, like, that was his take on that was just like, 
Like, it's what logic. are you going to do once your friends? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to New York City <laughs> and miss the last train home. But no one's going to know. So it's fine. I got to school on yeah. time, whatever. Like, to anyone listening who's not from New York, <laughs> it's basically a classic youthful punk rock scenario that you go to a show, do something in New York City, miss the last train from Penn Station right. and have to sleep there for a good four or five hours until... Well, what was, was it? ridiculously early. Was it early. like the 545 was the first one or something? 545, Raritan Valley. Raritan and Valley, then yeah. the, but the last one out was like, it was like one twelve. Corridor it was one fifteen and walk. Oof. Which I did more Okay, than once. walk from Linden? Yes. Not a great idea. At 14. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's good of you to mention that. Yeah, because uh, everybody I knew who grew up in Jersey or Long Island yeah. has these stories. Oh, the yes. LIRR is the even worse. Yeah, exactly. Oh, their there. quiet time is shorter, actually. They only have a couple hours. Yeah, but that crazy. I mean, you know no, what? He, I've taken that train about let's, twice. Let's I just a wanted to, to knock Long Island at party some point in this. Just for a second. <laughs> Wait, say that again? The death of the party car. Oh, uh, you don't think it exists anymore? Isn't that what an Uber pool is now? No, the, the, no, the train car. Oh yeah, yeah, with the yeah, they had a bar. Oh a bar. yeah, and you smoking could, in there, smoking yes. cigarettes. I mean, if, you could smoke true. everywhere. If, back then. if there everywhere. was, if there was, but a, there was a lot of smoking in the. There. If there was breath. a metal concert yeah. at the Garden, oh, the man. inbound train ride, <laughs> party <laughs> car would be declared. Wow, yeah. brown bagging it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, windows would get kicked out. Wow, oh, just. That, that makes sense. Burnout nonsense. Remember those old trains Glorious that had the like burnout clip, clippy <laughs> windows, like a school bus window, but oh, they were yeah. in the New that Jersey you could actually well, lower the window. Yeah, yeah, those are fun. That's yeah. when it was still New Jersey Central. <laughs> I remember Prior those. To the co- I remember consolidation like, in 1980 and the creation of oh, New Jersey wow. Transit. Wow. <laughs> they were going too far off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really got me yeah. a clap and a snort. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I thought that was cool. Um, I, you know, I noticed that it, it's interesting that both of you guys, Kate in Asbury Park and John in Jersey City, you guys both went to towns kind of prior to gentrification and like lived through gentrification in those towns, Mm -hmm. which are still being gentrified and stuff. And, you know, I've seen this firsthand twice now. I was one of the gentrified in New Brunswick, and now I am one of the gentrifiers in Jersey City. So I have seen both parts of this. I was wondering, like, I've thought about this a lot, and I just can't find, like, what is the middle ground? Like, what is the the correct way to like restore a neighborhood and to like restore buildings and to have uh, active stores and active, you know, civic life, but like retain the culture. Like what is the trick to doing this? Quick answer. Yeah. Create a sense of place and a sense of community. How? Like, how do you do that? Mm. Is that up to the people coming or the people who were there to like, to show their sense of culture to the new people or is it up to the new people to find? I think a lot of times that there isn't someone there and that's why there's a, Mm. that's why it leaves a space for people to come in. And, you know, usually what happens is you artists come in or, um, you know, like specifically in Asbury and in, in, um, 
playing field and things like that. It's like the gay community comes in right. because they don't have to worry about the schools mm-hmm. and they uh, right, right. worry and they, well, they, now they do. focus. Yeah. But you know what I mean? I'm talking about Plainfield and Asbury, which are gentrified 20 and 30 years ago. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so there's all these dilapidated, abandoned, fancy homes. Yeah. You, both of those towns, beautiful. And yeah. you come in and you, you know, you don't have to worry about a different amount of crime or expenses or whatever it is than wherever else you were living. And the same thing for artists and musicians and things like that. It's like you're leaving... Um, a small one-room apartment in New York, and mm-hmm. you can move to Asbury Park and rent a whole house for that amount of money. Right. And you're and people are like, it's dangerous there. You're like, I live in New York, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> and like when I bought my house, everyone's like, you're crazy, like you are crazy, like you are gonna. Someone's going to break in there to but steal your stuff way, and murder yeah. you. But in and a strange I was just way, like, Asbury okay. was more dangerous than New York. It was, certainly was. And it I think is. It's like, still, it just was. It's, yeah. Especially still then, like, that was real, like, Giuliani, you know, Nazi streets. Standpoint right. matinees at the Stone Pony back in the... <laughs> yeah, With the Fury of Five security was, uh, I mean, security you know, team. I would not... I still... Okay. That, that, that I would ride not to the walk alone at night for years. Gnarly. Years. No, and then I know like Pete got beat up there, right? Yeah. A Co- couple people have Bob had Strakel. like real problems there. Um, yeah. So Greg got mugged a couple times early on. So you said there's kind of like, and I, and I understand that because like when I first came to Jersey City, I was really seeking out what it was about. Like I almost really wanted to know and I wanted to like find like a local sense. And honestly, I was, especially at first and until I had kids, there was a level of like, rejection from the locals where I couldn't I couldn't get a good conversation for a while I couldn't even find out for a while and I dug into my own and I didn't resent it because I completely understand what's happening there I felt guilty more often than not yeah but you know I also saw people have these you know potentially like million dollar brownstones who were just like they owned them they were just treating them like shit and they just left because they got abandoned. Like, they literally could have just made a million dollars if you just decided to sell it or, like, something like that. Just, like, so it was, like, this mix of, like, me feeling super guilty about what's happening but also seeing, like, a series of bad decisions that can somehow lead to certain things. I but think also, a lot of times people are not educated about exactly. what's happening. And, yeah. they, and they get That's, their houses taken away from them for, like, tax yeah, things, things they didn't even know were like yeah. happening against them. I totally agree that. Like I, I mean, came... the first year that I lived in Asbury, my proper ta- property taxes doubled. Think wow. about that, doubled. Yeah. And there was a huge exodus of the early, you know, regentrifying settlers right, 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 because right. they were like, "Are you kidding me?" Like I, I moved here because this is the only place I could afford. And what year was that? I, I moved to uh, Asbury in two thousand one. Okay, and you moved to. Little Eden in 2001. Or you had Yeah, co- I had lived down there. At first I lived in Bradley Beach, then I lived in Ocean Grove, then I moved to Little Eden. And okay. I bought it December of 2000 and finally moved in in May of 2001, but like but like uh, the guy I bought it from 
still had a key and was still messing with stuff. And uh-huh. I was like, dude, I have got to go to bed. I'm so tired. Oh like, he, Wait, so the dude you bought the house from was still You know where I was living at that time? The house? At the loft in New, in New Brunswick oh, on Sanford Street. Loft. That's where I stayed in wow. the meantime that I could that I had to move out of my apartment because I was like, I bought a house. Good and the lady you, was like, cool. You've really slummed it. I was really slumming at that time. <laughs> um, but the... Remember the chop shop downstairs that would set oh, yeah. up the Cesar. spray paint fumes? And, and each garage the... had like a different junkyard dog oh, yeah. like waiting to just chew your face off. That place was scary. Or loading. I've Like loading an 8x10 cabinet to the second mm-hmm. floor of the loft was maybe well, I one of the more we, I loaded a PA. Dangerous remember when we put the, um, the sandbox? <laughs> the very same PA. The sandbox. We built like a plywood sandbox to put to in a window. Soundproof to a soundproof door. the uh-huh. window that was by the condo side. Yeah. And yeah. some random kid was there helping and he like shredded off the tops of all his hands. So and there were like, also shows there in case that yeah. needs to be clarified. Sure, yeah. Well, some that, legendary. That, the I believe the actually, World Inferno was yes. the first show there. Mm. And the loft actually stayed because my there is a bunch of friends of my generation who occupied the loft and did shows there. Even Gaslight played at the loft. Oh wow! Believe it or the not, the first time I saw but um, every show we did there, the the cops would show up. I don't. How did this go on? The cops never came to the loft when we were doing that. That was like the side of town they just didn't give a fuck about. Like because that, there was a cop that lived in those condos, oh. so they must have moved or like I don't know. They must have just kind of given in to general college kid crapper. Mm-hmm. I mean, how is it that they would come and give us noise tickets? There were like $500 tickets at that yeah. time. Oh, yeah. But, but the chop shops were downstairs. Oh, yeah, they're fine. Like, yeah. it was just like, come on. Like, they were clearly just picking on us. I mean, you know? New Brunswick police. But you know who lived there then? <laughs> when we did those first shows there. So, uh, will be Eric, that you know. Anyway. Um, but Mike Jorgensen, who is now in Wilco, was oh, one no of the original really? settlers of that. Whoa, weird. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Um, Shout out, Jorgensen. Tech. He was going to DeVry at the time. And I believe he worked at White Lotus, too. That's awesome. No, maybe not. I don't know. So, I can't remember. Like, Little Eden, your house, mm-hmm. is... It's like the type of place that I, like, walk in and I feel like I'm in, like your version of like the world and like some strange way you want it to be you know what i mean and i feel like this is like a world of my own making no i really like and i feel like i'm inside of you in some ways like it's got don't be fresh you know <laughs> kate <laughs> sorry remember you sorry, were the one who used to hit on me when i was like 16 oh it was always a joke you'd be like oh you're my you'd be my husband if you weren't so young mm. You sounded like my like a Jewish that grandmother when you like said you. it too. Oh, Benny the Bubbler, come here! <laughs> look at that! Look at that punum! Oh, you're gorgeous. <laughs> um, so, but like you walk in, you know, the bottom floor is a is the Bouncing Souls practice space and a recording studio. Mm-hmm. You know, the middle, still, even though still, <laughs> somehow, but you know, well, Pete's the king of Little Eden. You know, yeah, he does you what know, he wants. Middle middle section always assorted. Assorted people, assorted roommates, yeah. assorted things. And then the upstairs is just like, so there's a room you walk to in Little Eden. Just, and it, what's that booze you really like? Fernet Branca. Yeah, Fernet Branca stuff Fernet. everywhere. These beautiful, like, ornate plates. Like, 
the dirtiest thing. Uh, am I allowed to talk about your that? My filthy bong. In yeah, there? your filthy, filthy bong. It's like it hasn't been cleaned in a decade. I don't know what's in there, but I use it. <laughs> um, it's, I, I literally I, about five minutes after I'm in Little Eden, I text Kate. They're like, oh, cool if I go upstairs. <laughs> like, why? Well, I wish I was home. Yeah. Let's hang out. <laughs> so, but I say all this like, like, um, was there intent? when you bought it to like turn it into something like that? Like, like was that part of like the initial intent when you went down there? I, I just, I was looking at houses. Take the the Westfield house as a template. Yeah. Like Uh, we grew up in this house that, you know, he did the shows, the whole basement was a show space and, you know, the same kind of divided, like people are allowed here. To do whatever Which, the heck they're doing. Interestingly, right. they had both been divided up into apartments mm-hmm. at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, the yeah. what? The individual houses? The, yeah. Yeah, so they all had like funny partitions. Partitions oh, and like right. electrical right, situations. Right, right. And, but they, so when, when we went to look at the, Westfield house, which, you know, was 1980. 80, yes. I remember very specifically saying, this is the one, this is the house we're going to get. And my dad was basically like, okay, you know, (laughs) and like, I just really, I remember it very clearly being like this one, this is where we're going to live. This is our house. And that the same thing happened to me when I was looking at houses in Asbury. And I was sort of like, I had, I was like trying to look at like much smaller, much cheaper, much less insane things but i walked in that house and it you know the guy who lived there before me was a hoarder a very great human but he was a hoarder and there was a lot of stuff so that you couldn't even ascertain how many rooms there were or what their purpose was there was just like piles of stuff and but i walked out of the front and he hadn't let anyone in it in years and the only reason that he let me in is because i went to look at it with my dad And because my dad had like recently retired and was like, I'll come look at this. I was going to look at a different house for the second time. And I was just like, Dad, you want to come look at this? Like, have a look at the electric meter or whatever, you know, kid, you know. So (laughs) I he came down and we and like my realtor was like, oh, this guy, he doesn't let anyone in the house. But he lived there with his daughter and he had always lived there with his daughter and they were like really close and he and he I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. He's caught us on the porch and, and they get off of the porch. I was like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to upset you. Like we thought we were going to look at the house. I'm just here with my dad. I'm going to go. I'm sorry. And he was like, oh, you're here with your dad. Come on in. Oh, really? And they huh. wouldn't let the realtor in. But wow. he like showed us all around the house. Interesting. And when I walked out, I was just like, oh, God, like this is this is it. And huh. I remember like being real kind of like spaced out like like feeling very like conflicted between like reality dictates that this is a very weird scene and I should probably go right. but like emotionally was like this is my home you just had like an instinct like. and my dad and I think that we're going to walk out and he's going to be like all right that's it yeah let's like, go to frank's that. you right, know right, 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 <laughs> and he was like he's like okay so um you're buying this house right and i was like what wow. i was like what and he was like you have to buy this house it's clearly your house and i was just wow. like 
are you doing this as like revenge? <laughs> and, he, and he was like, he was like, no, I just know. I've seen that look on you twice. Here it is. This oh, is your house. And oh. I was just like, oh, okay. That's and so like cool. went and bought it. That moment drove to the broker's really? office. Holy shit. Wrote a check from the Chunksa account because I didn't have any money in my bank account. But um, yeah, like it was, it was. I had made a decision to buy a house in Asbury, right. and I w- knew that it was going to be highly questionable in many ways. But I did not expect it to be quite that big and daunting. I mean, sure. I, I lived in one room for a very long time, right? You know, like, and there's still rooms that are like, don't just. Let's just leave that door closed. Right. Because that's scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, like. Yeah, for sure. But. Uh, so, but when you walk into like Little Eden, you know, you see, you know, there's like, there's like a list. There's like a couple things that are like, fuck you, don't do this. No guns. No guns. Lock the fucking door. No guns. You, you know, no IV drugs. Yeah. Like some no, basic. Uh, yeah. And those are, you know, not, I don't think those are like, those are good rules. Yeah. Major picadillos that you can like <laughs> kind of just like throw on a wall easy. But like after that, there's like basically, you know, I can't say it exactly, but there's things that are telling you you're in like a good place and you're in a communal place and like this is the way to act and like this mm-hmm. is kind of the way to be here. And like from the minute you walk into that place, you almost feel like like I would be doing Kate a disservice if I did like anything but that in this like holy temple of Kate. You know what I mean? I really feel that way. And there is like, kind of like, and anybody, and now it's become, you know, a thing. A lot of people know about it. You know what I mean? And a lot of people have been through there and felt the same thing. Like, when you started that, like, could you imagine that was something that was like created or did you want to create a space like that for people? Or you were just like more like winging it and this is what happened? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely winging it and some of it came from um, you know, going back to like scene building and community building, like, you know, anyone who came to play in Asbury back then was very rare. Like, what were you sure. playing at the Saint, the T-Birds Cafe? Yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe the at the if Pony you bigger, if yeah. you were bigger, but then you were probably staying at a hotel. But people would come and stay at my house because they knew me. Right, right. And like, it would be like, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, this is the only place we stay that's not a hotel. Like, to this right. day. Sure. You know, like. yeah. yeah. Like people who are like you get they have a tour bus Hotel in their own people. rooms and they're like yeah, yeah. can we come over and yeah, stay? Yeah. Like, yeah, of course, you know. Yeah. But um so some of it was just like, Well, if you came all this way to play, I can put you up or like, oh, the bar's closed now. And then once the lanes opened Right. It was Which like right down the street. It's yeah. two blocks. Yeah. And so even if I didn't and you know, I've been at this point touring for so much of my life, know so many people or know uh, someone on the same label or who runs their label or who's their booking agent or who work, you know, some roadie that is like, oh, I'm touring with this other band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need a place to stay. Or like sometimes even like Jenny or whoever would be like, oh, these poor kids, they don't have anywhere to go. Right, right, right. They're going to sleep on the sidewalk. And I'd be like, oh, God, okay, you know. Yeah, yeah. And... I would always say to people, like, I am opening my home to you under these conditions and don't ruin it for everybody else. Right. You know? And so I think that's a lot of it is not like, it's like a respect of a space and a moral code. Yeah. Because it's like, you find yourself in this position 
and then you come here and you feel welcome and sure. you're comfortable and you're cared for and you know I've got some you know we brought the beer from the bar or like yeah of course you can take a shower here's clean towels right. yeah which is not something you find when you're crashing sure. it a lot of but just crappy you gotta places do this and tour. do this but like you know hey like don't be a dick right you know like See, be kind to everybody else I hear this it just reminds me of like this feeling I have that I really want liberals and people like us to just have like a little more chutzpah about like what they believe in you know what I mean like and and I used to do the same things in my shows and I'm convinced it's part of the reason I got away with some of this shit is like if you just tell people straight up in front of their fucking face this is what I expect of you Mm. this is what we need to do to make this happen Mm -hmm. this is what needs to happen for it to continue and you kind of come at it and not a uh, I'm better than you. I know more than you thing. But like, hey, like I'm trying. Can you Strength try a little, honor. you know, and, honor. <laughs> and I used to same thing. I was like 15 years old at those Manville shows and I made it a point. To, I o- almost always got on the mic right at the first ones. And I'd be like, hey, you know, listen, everyone, <laughs> this is just like me and my friends running this place. And and, you know, I really want to keep it going. So let's just like keep it peaceful and and afterwards you know pick up a broom maybe and Grab a broom, help us out you know and stuff and like it totally worked i had like these really like mean hardcore kids and stuff who were just like yo benny what do you need you know and like <laughs> crazy shit and all you had to do was like kind of demand it you know what i mean like i i feel like there is some value in in asserting that morality into your situation like and, but also, and not just like you know you can't be holier than thou right you know you can't be like you need to be a better person than you are for the sure. scene sure sure or sure. like have you considered <laughs> right, right. being um you know mm. have you considered straight edge have you, considered, <laughs> yeah, right, right. you know whatever like i i would never pass any judgment for sure. On anyone for their personal decisions that they're making or how they're living. But if you come into a a collective space where you are are choosing to be part of this like scene with other people, the least common denominator is respect other people's values or space or feelings or, you know, whatever that is. And if you are in a position where you're like, well, I'm kind of in charge here because everyone... Right. You know, then I can say these are my least common denominator yeah, yeah. rules and stance on sure, things, sure, sure. you know, like you know, I'm not going to tell you that you can't eat meat, but I am going to tell you that you can't do it in my house. And you can't use my pan. You yeah. definitely cannot <laughs> change the settings on the toaster oven. No. <laughs> Death. Death. That's awesome. I love that. I you think know? it's really true and I I think that there um I think what we were talking about before with the scenes and stuff, I do think that's something that got lost is that, I mean, there was almost like a... Well, if you're inside it, you know, it's an organic sense that you develop as you you surround yourself in it. Right. But entertainment industry or any kind of like that it's a completely opposite set of right priorities and ideals once it gets to that point um, yeah but does it have to be i mean not like that's no. the thing about the soul <laughs> I, I would argue no. i have to yeah. give them yeah. a lot of propers here because they allowed me to take this 
these ideas of mine and practice them on tour. Right, 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 right. To be like, oh, yeah. if I'm in charge here and we have a package tour, oh, you're sharing your space, you're sharing your rider, You people are going to be paid, you're sharing your guest list, you're in a manner, you know what I mean? Like, or, And you're going to have hand-drawn set lists. I mean, if you don't have a hand-drawn set list, you're not <laughs> punk. Okay, I've seen Kate tirelessly work on hand-drawn set I don't think they have them anymore. Or no, they they write they them themselves better. now. They, they better. If I've the souls don't Brian do that, do I would be But you know what I mean? Like, they allowed me to be like, yeah. everyone, can't we all just get along and be nice to each sure. other? Uh, and I mean, maybe having still those values you and, on a yeah. lot of other sure. younger bands coming up. And, I, you know, like, people sure. will sometimes say to me, like, oh, we do this. Because this is how you did it awesome. or whatever. And I'm just like, oh, single tier, you know, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. you know, like, yeah. but I think that it it goes a long way to just be nice to somebody else and sure. not nice, kind, you know, nice is false is there's something behind it. I just but mean being like, on the other side of the fence, like I know you say that it was like props to them for letting you into the fold. But, you know, I can't tell you the difference in. I've had in my own experience from touring with people who treat people a certain way and touring with people who don't and just the overall like like it comes back to you you might not know it night to night to night because you don't feel it and you don't see it but a band who like walks around a country drives around a country kind of treating people like shit or being aloof in every city and their tour managers doing that like you're hurting your own fucking career, too. Yeah. Like, straight up. Like, there's a lot of value in this idea that, like, when you're doing well, you need to treat people well. Because you might not always be doing well, either. You know? <laughs> like, Yeah. yeah some- that's a classic Al Bar. Be nice to everyone you meet on the way up, because you're going to meet the same people on the way down. 100% true. <laughs> you know? Speaking of being a front of house man, uh, I've seen so many confrontations between bands and sound guys and monitor guys mm-hmm. and like just strange backs and forth. But I did and it little first and I did it best. Ego pulling and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, no, I actually, what would be like if you could drop like a nugget of wisdom on a band? Like this is the thing you need to do the most to just go from city to city and coexist I, in a good way with like a front of house. Guy. I don't have any really good solid advice about that because <laughs> we're I mean, a lot all of sound guys messed are up on our own special ways. Yeah. So there's no one size fits all. I'd like to think that there is a baseline of competence that exists, but that is not true. Oh, no, that's not the case. Yeah. Um, I've used house house people in a lot of yes. things. Yes. You know. um, I had to but do I mean more, at one of my shows once. Well, coming. It's well, not me, a me, family let me, treat. Let me finish the thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, definitely go in hoping for the best, but it's not always going to be that great. And yeah. you know, your coping mechanisms for that um, and how you deal with that can either uh, amplify or mellow out the whole scene you know and uh, I wish I had better advice 
So, I mean, like, say a band walks... I mean, there have been times I've walked into a venue, I've seen the system, I've seen the stage, I met the front of house guy, and I'm like, this could be a bad night. Like, just, I know it already. Like, yeah. this, this is going to be a oh, rough yeah. one. This is going to be a rough one. So on a night like that, what can a band just, do to ensure you're just you don't just sound m- awful? Minimize friction. Just keep it as loose. Try to get out as clean as you can. <laughs> um, don't turn up your amps or anything. I think everyone needs to learn how to be a flight attendant. Ultimately, uh, like just you know, diplomatic. both sides. Yes, yeah, yeah, just yeah. you know, I. I'm slowly getting there. <laughs> Not always there. Not always there. Yeah, yeah. We won't get into all that. Also, I was, though, you know, I was going to make you tell the festival story. I'm not. No, gonna, no, yeah. Also, you know, you think about points of reference are lost on every everyone. It's right, right. <laughs> you know, you're more educated about those kinds of things than most band dudes are. I would venture to say. Yeah, you probably. understand what a PA is, how channels work. Yes. You know. Yes. That does like you can look at the speaker array that's there and determine, and you know, oh my god, there's a drop ceiling. Oh my god, there's right. a cement floor. Oh, yeah, we're yeah. in a warehouse. Whatever. Like you can you can ascertain from those the the survey. Yes. Oh god, this isn't going to go well. Checking all the wrong boxes. And then if the guy is a dick, right. that was sexist of me. But if the person is uncooperative, <laughs> right, right, um, then. You know, all you can do is think this person deals with the with the fallout of this situation every day right, and people right. being angry who don't even understand why it's happening or whatever. Right, right. So you could be like, hey, man, I see what's going on here. Let me know what how we can yeah. help you do your job. Right. Help like, me help like you. Make, like <laughs> become an ally instead of yeah. attacking something that that person can't change. Sure, you know, because sure. yeah, they think about if you go to work in a concrete box every day with a a couple like beta fifty twos, you're like you're, you're bummed. Yeah, yeah, uh huh. You know, and so if a band comes in and is just yelling at you, yeah, you're super bummed. Yeah, I I I definitely agree with that, and I do. The one thing that I've learned, you know, by doing it so long, is that like. You know, it's your instinct to go in a venue if, like, a security guard's a little chippy, a door guy's a little chippy, a front of house guy's a little chippy. The thing I always try to think about is the fact that, like, you're one of, like, 280 days this year where this person is going to meet four bands that they've never met in their life Mm -hmm. walking through this door with their own sets of bullshit and complaints and requests and things that are probably impossible and I think you definitely would start to develop just like a little bit of a wall. You know what I mean? I think that's natural. I yeah. think the same way people are a good door guy was a dick. I'm like, if I was a door guy, I'd probably be a little bit of a dick sometimes. Yeah. You have to be. Like, you can't give people that inch or else your night is just going to suck. Oh, you lost your ticket? Really? Okay, yeah. come on in. Yeah. Like, what the fuck are you supposed to do? <laughs> I mean, I dealt with that all the time. Like, you know, people... uh you know, licking their Sharpie mark and, and putting it on their hand and then doing the crazy stuff to get into shows. So I do have a, I personally have a um, a soft spot for the, the work that those people but have think to about do. But think about if you've never sucks. done a show or you never played those kinds of shows and you were just like, you know, 
a band that just is like, oh, everything sounds great on my garage band at home. <laughs> right. It's true. Oh, John's so, raising his hand. Hi, John. The thing that gets to me most, yeah, <laughs> and this goes back to DIY culture and ethic, okay, is there's just no learning. Mm. People make the same mistakes over and over again. Right. The kid doing their first show, there is there's decades of collective <laughs> right. knowledge and wisdom right. that can right. be drawn upon. Sure. And again, you know, that instinct where you're in a situation and you just know how it's going to play out and you try to nudge people in a certain direction. Yeah. Just to help the whole endeavor along and sure. they will not just refuse to grow. deviate from yeah, it's <laughs> and you know, it's self limiting and it's very frustrating. I, I noticed that and, a lot most people age but they don't grow. You know? Uh huh. I've been seeing that a lot recently. <laughs> um give me a a, a number percentage of drummers who know how to tune their drums Ooh. like where you 10%. put 10 10 where you put mics on them and you you're just like well, that Ooh. depends on your definition of drummer of course yeah a person playing drums a person playing drums in the band with how yeah. many years of experience you just sounded like ginger baker i love it <laughs> it's the best hey you have like the uh well actually let me let me just yeah, go on. follow that up please I absolutely respect people who are willing and ready to ask for help and guidance in tuning drums. Sure. I am all about it. So, yeah, going back to your advice for bands in crappy situations, ask the sound person for help tuning the drums. That'll cheer them right up. Well, and even just that's that's my that's my tip for the day. Well, and you, as you can imagine, like sometimes talk about guitar tones. Sometimes <laughs> solicit advice. Sometimes it's not something that like include them. But sometimes it's the room you work in, right? Too like oh, yes, like absolutely. you know, if you brought the snare outside and got it in a certain tuning, and it actually like I'll always listen to. There was a couple of times on these Mercy Union tours where Clean squats in um, Germany and sleeping yeah, really. You know, I'm back, back to the grind. And Danny is back into it. And there were a couple times where a sound guy would say, like, yeah, that snare, that, like, racks, and, like, like, you mind bringing it up or down a little? And I, like, see a couple of guys in Mercy Union, like, look at me, like, like, are you okay with that? Like, like thinking I'm going to be, like, pissed or something. I'm like, all right, yeah. Whatever the fuck you want, man. Like, you know, like, you think it'll sound better? Cool. So if I can snare drum, you know what I mean? And it's your room. And you know how weird shit bounces off weird walls. And if you've worked here forever and you have things dialed in a certain way, I'm better off like moving my snare up a little bit than maintaining some level of pitch that I demand in my ears or something, you know, like I think I think you're right. Like people should be not as territorial about their shit and willing to take some guidance and advice like on all sides. Yeah. Do you take guidance and advice from bands? I can't see that. Mm. <laughs> Under advisement. <laughs> so, Kate, you own one of the best restaurants ever called The Tasty. I'm a part owner. You are a part owner in one of the best restaurants ever called The Tasty in Philly. Mm-hmm. 
Now, someone like me, I knew about your vegetarian cooking prowess at a very young age when I first started going to the barbecues. I mm-hmm. think the July 4th barbecues were the first time I tasted the ribs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when Kyle lived with me. Yeah. May- mm-hmm. Yeah, that was... So that was that was it, wasn't it? That's how we got, like... That's close. how, like, we knew each... Got to know each other. Like, like we I knew think of each other, I think but... we'd, like, sort of, like, met a couple of times. Yeah, but yeah. I remember you guys coming... When Rogendorf moved into the when Kyle Eden. lived there and being like, "Oh yeah, I, I like I'd met you guys at his at like Pam and Lucky's or right, whatever." Right. But that's when I really remember, like, oh, like learning everyone's name right. beside besides Alex. <laughs> My friends are coming over. <laughs> <laughs> that's Kyle. Oh, the, the best. I love him so much. Um, but. So I, I had become privy to your world-famous ribs mm-hmm. at that time. Which are a break off of John's world-famous tofu recipe. Ah, John is a great chef as yeah. well. Doesn't get a lot of credit. Um, but when, uh, like, I know you always liked cooking for people and you always did it at the barbecue, but how did how did you, I never even knew, like, the story of how you went from, like, A to B and how you started that business and got into it. Well, I think that a lot of that comes from John, actually, like him doing house shows. He would always feed the bands. Mm. He would cook vegan meal. The for European all the, model. Yeah. yeah. And for that Euro I, stew. that like, you know, Bunk's love. we both cooked growing up and that he w- felt very strongly about that. And I always did, too. Like, I, I mean, even touring, well, I I'd be like, everyone's got to eat. No budget. Yeah. Trying to just pry money out of people that showed up. Yeah. Like, what do you got uh, in your pocket? Yeah. <laughs> um, it was, it was, uh, so I had that um, from him, the sort of like you feed the people who come over for your activity, whether it's a show or hang out or someone staying over. Like, you know, if people were on tour and came to stay like even when i lived in new brunswick and stuff like i would make food for everybody like the souls would come over when they you know once a week and we'd have family dinner and all that kind of stuff and so over the years i always um did sort of like you know i would cook for any kind of show or gathering of the people or a barbecue or like get the family together and then let's bring it back around. Tim Shaw, <laughs> when him and Kristen got married, they insisted that I catered their wedding. And right. I was like, you're crazy. I don't know how to do that. And they were like, you'll figure it out. And so I figured that out. Yeah. And then I like did a bunch of other weddings. I did, was the vegetarian chef on Warp Tour. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I got into the like oh, this is how you make that much food yeah, in like this learn amount how to do of time. It on a larger, and, yeah, yeah. Because that's a whole other skill set, right? Yeah, like it's just for, totally different. Yeah, yeah. I, can't, I cannot cook for two people. Like, impossible. Right, Can't right. do it. Yeah, yeah, Um, And then I, you know, so I was always kind of doing stuff like that. Then I started, like, catering all the Souls hometown shows and right. catering all the shows I did at the lanes, like, when yeah, I was the yeah. promoter of the shows. And... Like, that was just part of it to me. It's like, you, everyone eats, you know? And um, and then, and you know, I sort of always was like, oh, it'd be cool to have my own place. But, like, I'm real busy with this rock and roll thing. And then the Souls 
uh, you know, sort of downshifted yeah, right. to be more of a part-time band and, you know, they all have families and mm-hmm. all this kind of other businesses. And at the same time, at, at a home for the holidays that I was catering, I met Sophia. Mm-hmm. Hi, Sophia. Um, and she was staying because her now husband right. was doing sound at all the lanes after right, parties. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he and he also does shows with John sometimes, so you know it's a real small world. But um, and he, Sophia used to let me sleep on her floor in Boston. Yeah, yeah. And I had to go to the Pony because there was some kind of like show problem right. door couldn't yeah, open something. doors, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I just kind of look at Sophia and I was like, "You ever cook before? You do ever do any cooking?" And she was like, "Yeah, like real casual." Yeah. And I mean, seriously, had met her like one time before that, you know, and I was like, okay, what do you say? Like, you know, turn this oven off, whatever. Like I kind of like just pointed at stuff and I was like, I really have to go. But like dinners at 630, whatever, like anything you can do to like package it up. I'll send the runner to come get it because obviously her and I were in cahoots and whatever. Right. And so I can't I can't remember what the problem was anymore. But I was like in the office at the pony for a really long time. Oh, I remember what the problem is. <laughs> We're not gonna talk about that. Okay. Um and when I came out of the office and was so cracked, like we have to get doors open in half an hour, nothing's done, and I walked into the green room and everything was set up and plated and everything exactly how I would have done it. Uh, okay. And I was like, who did this? Yeah. What happened? And Sophia was just standing there like, is everything okay? And I was like, did you do that? And she was like, yeah. And I was just like. Isn't it amazing the halo that appears over someone who's just really competent? And like, then oh, my God, thank day, God for and you. And then, like, you know, the next three <laughs> nights of the sh- shows, she, her and I cooked the food together. Yeah, and yeah. it was like, we didn't miss a beat. Like, cool. And then, you know, and it was just like, oh, like, you're my kitchen partner. And this is going to happen someday. Yeah. And like it, it just sort of like, and then, um, you know, Ben Pierce like posted a thing on Facebook. Oh, this diner in my neighborhood's for sale. Anyone want to open like a coffee shop with me? And Sophia like commented on it like, oh, Kate and I want to open our vegan diner in that spot. And he was like, cool. And like we went and looked at it and, wow. and like agreed to do it like Holy shit. <laughs> Same as with my house. Like, yeah. yep, this is the spot. I sure. love it here. Sure. Home sweet home. So cool. And, you know, now we're just like, you know, the Full two end. of us just work a billion hours. Yeah, beasts. Yeah. But That's we're awesome. both, like, we both love to work and yeah, yeah. want to feed the people and have the same ethics about it. Sure. And it's still a great vibe when you go in. It. It's not like you guys are, like, scowling back there or anything. Someone, a, yeah. a service person was in there recently. Um, and was like, oh, what an awful place to work. Like the, like being sarcastic. Oh, oh. And they was like, you guys are so nice to each other. Oh. And you know, it was just like a normal, like banter, like yeah, yeah. us being like, oh, I forgot to order kale, you know, whatever. <laughs> right, and, right. and I was just like, what a normal people. And you know, then you think like, oh, in the rest of the world, people in kitchens are like maniacs yeah. and not nice yeah, and gnarly. not, you know, and so it's just another place to, um, you know, expand my ideas about kindness I love to it. others. I love it. I was wondering, like, I've seen, you know, in the Jersey City gentrification process, 
over the course of the last like 11, 12 years, I've seen a lot of like restaurants and cafes and things like that come and then go mm. quickly. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that the tying factor to most of these places is they can't maintain like the consistency they had when they opened. Like, you know, you could tell that when they opened, like somebody was there who was like really involved and like mm-hmm. really passionate about their menu and their food and stay on top of it. And then you watch like those responsibilities kind of be handed off. And then you watch it just literally like go down the hill, like right after. Unacceptable. Um, so, so, but is this like a known thing in the restaurant industry or something, you know, that like, like how long does it take to be able to like get your own hands out of it where it could like operate in a way you like, or does that just never happen? I mean, well, that is the point at which you become a restaurateur. Right. Yeah. But how do you maintain like concepts? Right. Right. Like something bigger than that. I don't think it becomes a business plan. Right. I mean, I can't really speak for Sophia officially, but I think that we're on the same page with this where neither one of us ever considered that we wouldn't work all the time. Right. Like we love to cook. We want to feed the people. We care so much about our, the standard and the experience and are mortified. Like both of us can tell you like the amount of times that there was something that we were like, Oh my God, I can't. For instance, like three months ago, I pay. (laughs) If we make chicken and waffles, I make the waffle and she makes the chicken and I have to go and pick it up from the grill and put it on top of the waffle and put the plate up. Sure. And I just threw one of the pieces behind the stove, like slipped (laughs) out of my hand. Like, in all this time, you know, thousands of waffles, this is what had happened, and I was just, and I just looked at her, like, totally mortified, (laughs) you know, and I was just like, what would, what would someone else do in this situation? And it was like, you know, there wasn't any question, we made it over, and we, you know what I mean? Like, but I think a lot of places, people are just like, bucket. Yeah, floor spice. Oh, or, or just like, they're just like. Don't care about yeah. messing up a little or plating something that they're not happy with or, you know, and that that is the difference between, you know, maybe it is ownership or proprietorship or whatever it is, but you can't hire someone to care. Someone right, has right. to care. That's not scalable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone and has to care. And you can have coworkers and staff that care, you know. Yes, John. There's an interesting parallel here with yeah. Brooks Heedley. Okay. And Superiority Burger. Which we, I brought up before. Yeah, Benny which, doesn't yeah. know about. That's, I didn't know about it. He has six seats. Okay. Six. Six. And they're fold-down jump seats that were built by the bassist of Universal Order of Armageddon <laughs> as a carpentry project. Right, right. Um, it's the same thing. He, well, he's even at the point where he has investors – and <laughs> when he first opened, he was telling me that he was doing an eight-hour prep shift just to do evening service. Right. And it, you know, he has a team, but it's all him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's not scalable. It's sure. You know, it's you cannot expect other people to care that much. Yeah, yeah. It's about impossible. your thing. Yeah, it's your thing. It's and you have to yeah. stay that personally invested. And he's done very well with it. And I think Kate has done very well. Let's just say Kate's the best. Kate's great. All right. We get in. 
<laughs> we'll have to have part two. John, sound engineer the button. Yeah, the Hiltzes. It's like a, it's like a double um, double flashback in time because this, like we said, it was taped pre-pandemic. We kind of held on to it because we just didn't know where to fit it in, and then um, yeah. and then it's all, a lot of it. It's about little Benny. I know, <laughs> little hardcore kid, and it came full circle just last weekend. So it's good that this happened. As we discussed earlier, you know, I turned forty, and. A couple days before my birthday, my wife was just like, we're getting in the car this morning. Like, like basically, it was like, you're not doing anything this morning. You're coming with us. Get in the car, kids. And I'm like, why the fuck are you taking me to Pennsylvania? I'm like, Jesus Christ, go east, you know? <laughs> I don't like this place. And, uh, <laughs> and I see that we're going to Philly, and I'm like, oh, you're taking me to the Tasty, aren't you? Oh. And... Yeah, and just as I suspected, we were making our way to Kate's and Sophia's amazing restaurant called The Tasty, vegetarian spot in South Philly. And Kate, being the angel that she is, and the aforementioned barbecue ribs that I used to obsess over at her parties, (laughs) we not only got food from The Tasty, she left us with two giant trays of vegetarian barbecue ribs for me. I mean, come on. Nice. Come on now. Nice. This is the thing legends are made of, Brad. <laughs> this is it. What a good birthday. And she knows, me. like, she would text me back in the day or, or probably call at this point and be like, hey, I'm having this party at, at Little Eden and, you know, this and this is coming. You should come out. My response would only be like, ribs? <laughs> Will there be ribs? <laughs> So she knows I don't fuck around when it comes to that. And she hooked me up. It was awesome. That's great, dude. But everyone should go to the Tasty. 1401 South 12th Street, Philadelphia. Yeah. Just don't just don't do anything Philly-ish while you're there. <laughs> don't don't go to Four Seasons Landscaping. <laughs> don't go to Veterans Stadium, go to whatever they game. do. No, none of that. <laughs> Don't go to Geno's or Pat's or whatever these places are. <laughs> the fucking cheese whiz and the chop steak. I don't know. No, that place is awesome, but whatever. Uh, I digress. But it was nice to talk to these two. I hope everyone enjoyed the interview. Um, it's just uh, nice to recognize... People who I feel don't get enough recognition for their parts in something, you know? Right. To me, there's always the, you know, like I get hit up a lot these days about those old Manville shows mm-hmm. from people my age who are at those shows being like, yo, Benny, like, I miss those shows. Those shows helped me at a time, you know, the same thing it did for me. Yeah. Like, a bunch of fucked up little kids found an Elks Lodge to go to right. and hang out and feel like you had some community. And there's always like these parts of those things that no, like I get the credit for it now. Right. But there were all these people behind it that it never, ever, ever would have happened if these people weren't like supporting me and helping right. me. John Hills was a big part of that. And then Kate was a big part for me a little later in life. You know, she's like partially my spiritual guru, you know, oh. she's like. Like even when even when I text Kate being like, "Come on, you're a hippie or something," she'll be like, "Benny, <laughs> fuck you, I'm a peace punk," and I'm like, "Oh, I love you, Kate. You're such a badass. It's awesome." 
But peace. Punk. I love the story of uh, the souls like sleeping at White Lotus Futon. Oh, yeah. And, and all that, like what legendary old New Brunswick stuff. These people, the people who make who make creation and art turn. We got to respect them every time we yeah, see it. Yeah, and those who know? support it, yeah. And, yeah. So thank you to the John and Kate for coming into the city when we still were doing interviews in person. And uh, Sorry it took so long us, to get it out. Yeah, sorry about that. You know, um, text you guys in the morning. Speaking of flashbacks, I don't know if you saw what I just put up on our Patreon. Yeah, what was that? So... I'm not going to go into too much detail, but, you know, okay. I've been feeling a little guilty that I haven't paid enough attention to our patrons. As you should. At patreon.com slash going off track. Yes. But I think I really came through. Uh, we just put up a full episode from 2014 that had never been released. Wow. For reasons I can't go into. It's a good guest. I'm not going to say the guest's name. It's an interesting interview. And there may actually be a sequel to it. But uh, it has Jonah and Steven as the cool. host and it's it's a it's a it's a great episode patreon.com slash going off track and thank you all of you who've stuck with us yes you're greatly appreciated and full episode secret content it is a full I mean, episode yes that's big yeah it is that's good stuff yeah Brad. well wow. they deserve it you're making the page they sexy. deserve it <laughs> sexy patreon um and you can always go to itunes and give us a good review yes Yes. If you uh, you know don't if you can't if you can't front up for being a patron, which we certainly don't expect everybody to do, or just throw us a few bucks on Venmo, Venmo dot com slash off track. We'd appreciate it. Yeah, but um, it helps everything fly. We just appreciate you for listening, too. It's true. Rest in peace, Alex Trebek. Oh boy, yeah, huh? Sean Connery, Voice of dude. A generation. Sean Connery, yeah. Masterful. You know what? It's, you know it's, what he said, Sean Connery. He said years ago when he was, you know, starting to get old. He was like, he said that all he really, you know, they asked him about getting older. He's like, all I really want to want is to be an older man, an old man with a good face. <laughs> the well, best mission accomplished. The best yeah, face. mission fucking accomplished. That guy probably Jeez. until the day he died could still bad. like you know. Oh, any yeah. lady he wanted, you know? The the thing with Sean Connery that was strange when he passed away was the movies and the things I love him for are a little odd. Like what? You know, because he, he wasn't my James Bond. Right, right, right. But he did you know, like, other amazing shit, dude. But, like, the thing I like him most for is, like, finding Forrester. Oh, oh. And, like, The Rock. Dude. And, like, weird, like I, weird shit like that. Like, I got one for you. I got one for you. I yeah. totally forgot about yeah. this until you said this. Zardoz. What the fuck is that? Look it up, dude. I'm telling okay. you, <laughs> smoke a fucking dupe and watch Zardoz. I swear to God, you will thank me. Okay? Okay. Z-A-R-D-O-Z. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Maybe I'll write my review on the Patreon. <laughs> okay. Definitely. All right. You're going you're gonna to right. be glad you yeah. did that. All right. You definitely got to be stoned, though. <laughs> You'll never get all the nope. way through it. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> no problem. I'll take care of it. Oh. All right. Well, should we sign well, off? Let's head out. Yeah, this was long. But everyone, uh, stay tuned. We got a lot of great guests coming up the next few weeks. Woo!